Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? We both feel like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like death. Out there. So if we sound a little rough, that would be why. If we sound like death, yeah. it's... Yeah. So there's like this... I don't want to say mini, because it's making people say that they're going to die. Um, Me included. Flu going around that is just knocking people on their ass for like three days. Yeah. But like, I legit feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. You're not. But. Yeah. That's what she said when I had COVID. <clears throat> you didn't die though, did you? No, huh. but huh. came fucking close. Like, did you die? Oh God. Here we go. Yeah. So. Um, <sighs> I forgot what in the holy hell I was gonna say i'm awesome well besides that obviously uh we're on what 26 26. and we have new patreons oh you gotta shout them out two of which i think i forgot to tell you about yeah so we have carter who i'm not sure if that's her first or last name because her last name would be a first name but i don't want to say it without permission yeah uh i think she's from canada though Ooh. so is that what it means when it's a ca next to like the pledge i that think it's canada? california no it wouldn't it say california because well, it's i think it's canada we'll go with canada okay um she's a sergeant mm. and then sarah who we're gonna 100 percent shout out because uh we're getting some merch from her this week to put up. Yep. She is a sergeant. Awesome. And then Kim, who I believe started at the first tier and then bumped herself right up to sergeant. Oh, wow. So okay. thank you, guys. We really, really, like, super appreciate it. It's yeah, awesome. we do. That's very awesome. Very cool of you guys. Um, merch Sar- is coming yep. soon. So... The $20 tiers, you guys will get 20% off mm-hmm. on merchandise. Mm-hmm. Uh, our $10 tiers will get 10% off. And $5, you just you get access to all our... Stuff first. Yeah. So Patreons get access to everything first. And I have a feeling that we're going to have to put in another order really quick. Yeah. Because people keep hitting... We put in like a medium-sized order just to see how it, it would go. Yeah. And, like, I keep getting hit up, like, crazy when merch is coming. So, so legit, the amount of poop shoot shirts that people fucking want is, <laughs> it's obnoxious. It's amazing. It's ob- <laughs> obnoxious. Yeah, it's amazing. But then we're going to have pens and magnets and mm-hmm. stickers, and the pens are bad ass. Yeah, the pens are way better than I fucking yeah. expected. And they're refillable. Yes. So you're not just buying yeah. like a so one-time Bic. No, so they're going to be a little pricey, but like the art that goes into them is fucking awesome. Yeah, it really And is. then with them being refillable. So. You know, it's not just one-time use, so. Yep. But it's coming. We'll have that this week, and then I hit up about our shirts. Those should be coming shortly. You said it was like a three-week turnaround? I think so, so yeah. So I'm going to end up putting them on the website this week. So if you guys want to do like a pre-order thing, I'm pretty sure I can set that up. Mark's looking at me like I'm fucking stupid because he's like, no, you're not. Yeah, you're, not you're, you're probably not. Um, I know I have to. So okay, that'll be done. But but so, I have a feeling with the pre-order, then we can really see how many T-shirts because yeah. right, right. I, I think we're going to have to right. order a lot more. So yeah. there might be a little wait with that. It takes a little bit longer for it's the like T-shirts. It's like a three-week turnaround, I think she said. Yeah. 
So. But I think it's less once she has the graphics done. Maybe. I didn't ask her. I think it is because that's how it was with work. Okay. So. Well, that's cool then. So we haven't recorded in like a week. I know. Sorry. I know. We suck. We got it. No, it's just, it's been busy. It's been a long fucking week. So it's hard with football during the week. Yeah. And, you know, Jax's first football game yesterday was in fucking Rockford. Yeah. So if you guys don't know, like, where we're at compared to Rockford, that's like it's a, a two, two hour, hour drive. drive. So that was balls early. Mm-hmm. Today, we were actually supposed to be in St. Louis. But Mark is sick. But I'm sick, so the doctor won't see me. So. But I was supposed to see a nerve specialist down at Washington University. So hopefully... And that got fucking canceled. Hopefully next month we'll be able to get yeah, it. I'm hoping so. Uh, we got a dog. We got a new dog. His name is Chance the Pupper. He's fucking amazing, but and he's afraid of my wheelchair. He is terrified of your wheelchair. Uh, he also whines a lot, which yeah. I need to try and get him out of that habit. But it, it's... I shouldn't say whines. He screeches a lot because he does it for everything. He gets so excited. He does. He does. Yeah. But then, like, I mean, when that dog barks, holy shit, Mm -hmm. it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. But he's a doll. He's a snoogler. Yeah, he is. So we took him from a friend's family so he wouldn't have to go to a shelter. Yeah. And he's, what, three years old? He's three years old. Half German shepherd, half half pit bull. Yep. And you could tell in his face with his when his mouth is open. He's, he's a pity. He's totally pit. Yeah. Yeah, but, you can see the pit. But he's brindle like a pit. Yeah. Yeah. So. But he just wants to be snuggled mm-hmm. and loved and Touched awesome. constantly. Yeah. Except with me. He's afraid of me. He's afraid of your wheelchair, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But even when I'm on the couch, he's, like, still hesitant to come yeah. by me. He's getting better. A little. He, he will. Because yeah. eventually he's going to figure out that you're the only one home with him. I know. Because the kids are back in school, thank God. And just a side note, if either one of the kids touches any more of my shit, I'm probably going to need bail money. You were pretty fucking upset today. What did oh, they touch? Uh, my computer and my phone are no longer fucking synced. Yeah, it, There's five new apps on my fucking phone. It's getting a little old. I'm a little irritated in case you couldn't tell. Your nap didn't help, did it? No, not even a little bit. Is that consider- <laughs> like okay? So, at what time does it become a nap versus going back to bed? This is a legitimate Baby, question. If I'm you're asking. going back to bed, you're going back to bed for the night. No, that's how I consider it. Oh, um, well, I think you're wrong. I'm just saying. You were up for a couple hours and then took like an hour yeah. nap, which didn't help. I I also feel like shit. So. I'm sorry. No, you're I not. I probably got you sick. You don't care. No, I, I do because this is fucking terrible. <clears throat> yeah. My throat hurts. Yep. My sinuses are terrible. I feel hot. I keep getting chills. My ears are going to explode. And I'm just nervous like my body is going to shut down. It's not. Like I'm, I'm fucking terrified. I won't let you die. Thanks, Mama. I didn't before. True. Why well, start now? We're getting merch now, babe. You can't fucking die right now. <clears throat> I know, right? I mean, we're making shit happen. Yep. You, can't, you can't fucking die. True that. True that. So. So how was your day otherwise? It's like 10.30. It's not a day yet. 10.15. <laughs> all right. Good talk. I am rewashing all of Jackson's clothing. Yeah. With His dye rash free. is yeah. getting pretty bad. Because you fucking Kaszurski's in your skin, dude. Mm. I don't know. 
Yeah. It's insane. So that's what I'm doing today. I know. We're sensitive. We're fragile. You are fragile. You are. Mm-hmm. All of you. Every <laughs> single fucking one of you. Yep. Yes. All of you. We are. Good. I saw a snap of poor little Austy today. Dude, he doesn't get... Was he, like, laid out or not? Yeah, he really? was laid out, yeah. Because normally, you would never fucking know. Nah, so he has whatever... He, look, he looks miserable. He has whatever Chase had last week. Yeah. And they're calling it RSV, but it, I don't know. I feel like they're a little old for RSV. What is that? It's a respiratory infection for babies. And it's, it's oh. actually pretty serious for little, little ones. But the big yeah. ones, it's like a boogery cold with a chunky cough, so... And a fever. Kind of like what I feel. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, so it's essentially like it's a virus, you know? Yeah. So Jackie was happy when she, she's like, I don't have to worry about anything else. I was like, no, just a lot of boogers. Yeah. Tell him not to swallow him because then he's going to puke because Kaczerskis are pukers too, mm-hmm. which is great. Well, we are. So, yeah. Mm. Anywho. It's a lovely, miserable fucking household today. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Want to snuggle later? Yeah. It was super nice out this morning. Yeah, it at was. At like 6.30 when I first took the dog out. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was 70-something. There was a breeze. It was fucking glorious. Yeah, I'm, I'm about done with this heat. I took the dog out 20 minutes ago. Mm. Fuck you, dude. You got three houses, and then we're going back in. Oh, like, dude. I'm, no, can't I'm do so it. tired of the heat. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm too fat for this shit. <sighs> Like, for some reason, I'm really excited about, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. I think just because of the weather, we've yeah. been getting so much fucking heat. <laughs> well, yesterday, too, sitting at, it was fucking high noon. Yeah. I'm telling you, so that, the umbrella we have is a sun-blocking umbrella. Yeah. Cost 40 bucks I ever fucking spent. Oh, yeah. And I remembered my wagon, so I didn't have to carry shit. Oh, that's cool. I love my football mom wagon. Fuck. <laughs> I had my feet mom. in it. I, it was great. There was some dude <clears throat> fucking drinking a beer at 9.30. Why not? And I'm like, I packed fucking Monster. Why didn't I pack fucking Corona? Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't. I mean, he's just, clearly it was some that he brought on his own, obviously, because they're not selling it. But yeah. All the moms were like, did anybody bring booze today? <laughs> but it's just too far. Yeah. So. I hope that's the farthest that we have to go i think it, it is it is and if i'm not mistaken so we'll have three more away games and then we have four home games well, that's so all of us moms yesterday were like you know what let's just do the fucking away games and get them out of the way mm-hmm. and be done with it and then we can end the season at home yeah so but i don't yeah. know we don't have a schedule yet yeah so it's fucking ridiculous yeah mm. i told you we're pleasant today we are <laughs> Very chipper. Yes. So what are we on? 26? 26. And this is a request by Judy yeah. and Lindsay. Oh. You guys are awesome, by yes. the way. For 25, um, I was reminded, too, that uh, apparently I was dry humping you also while drawing hearts behind For your 25. back. 25? When I met you. Oh. When we met. Yes. Oh, I was, yeah. I was apparently dry humping you also, which mm. is 100% something I would Was do, it good so. for you? I guess, yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent. Just I didn't feel it, but you're not supposed to. I know, but so okay. So this one, Mm -hmm. um, Judy and Lindsay, the mom and daughter, right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Tony. Tony. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're both. Yeah. Anyways, so they requested a case that happened out of Dryden, New York. Yeah. Now, 
I couldn't make a full episode about the case. I did find a lot of information, but not enough to think I make. I think to have made a full episode. Yeah. But I dug a little deeper, and it turns out that this little fucking town. Holy shit! I guess uh, A and E did a show on it. Oh really? Um, it's called Village of the Damned. Okay. There were in a ten-year span. I, I should have counted. In a ten-year span, there was like. Nine homicides, mm. but it, it, babe, it's in a town of thirteen thousand. I mean, that's like where, where I work. But it's not. It's it's upstate New York, like happy yeah. little go lucky. And then, and like, I bet the murders are different. I mean, all my murders were gang murders. Yeah, no, these were not. Yeah. So, and then there was like four or five deaths in between that. Oh, really? Yes, that's what it, everybody thought it was like. Fucking cursed. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, yeah. What the fuck is going on there? I don't, I don't fucking know. But, like, they called it the Village of the Damned, and I guess a lot of the residents got pissed at that. Yeah. What the fuck do you expect? Well, what do you want? Right. Welcome to our town. You might die. It's delightful. Yeah. Hopefully you don't die. Yeah. It's delightful, but you might die. Yeah. It's like Chicago. Right. (laughs) So. (coughs) Sorry if I keep coughing, too. I'll, I'm gonna try not to. All right, so you want to just start. yeah, let's get All right, into it. So this is gonna be the, I have to move my microphone. Sorry, uh, Village of the Damned. So the, this is a quote: uh, "The town of Dryden is a vibrant community in Tompkins County, New York, nestled between Cortland and Ithaca." Established in 1797, Dryden encompasses 94 square miles and is currently home to more than. 13,500 people. With a unique blend of housing, business, agriculture, history, and recreation, Dryden is a wonderful place to live, work, and play. Mm. So this is the welcome statement on their website. But you might die. Right. (laughs) So not so picture fucking perfect before the internet, thank God, because I don't know what they would put for their welcome statement then. Right. Um. In the early 90s is actually when the town earned the moniker Village of the Damned after it was afflicted with heinous and blood-chilling crimes from 1989 to 1999. Wow. Okay. So it all started with the Harris family murders in December of 1989. Uh, Edgar Clemens, a retired school teacher who lived on Ellis Hollow Road for 26 years, said, quote, those things aren't supposed to happen here in this community. The Harris family moved to Ellis Hollow, which is a quiet, affluent section of Dryden in 1986 when Warren Tony Harris, they call him Tony, so I'm going to call him Tony, yeah. was named sales director of Deanco, which is a Syracuse-based electronic equipment distributor. It sounds like a radio shack. I don't fucking know what it is. Right. I didn't look. Uh, Dolores Daddy Harris knew everyone. She was like that mom, like that PTA mom. She organized uh, pie and cookie exchanges. She was very active in the PTA, obviously, oh, and Ellis Hollow Board. Um, she even opened a crafts and gift gift shop in the barn next to their house and called it the Grey Goose to keep herself busy. Hmm. Which I think is very quaint. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, they had two kids. 15-year-old Shelby played tennis. 11-year-old Mark played hockey. And their parents were very involved in their lives. Residents say they cannot remember much more than a burglary or two in recent years, 
And Tompkins County Sheriff Robert Howard said that there hadn't been a murder there in quote in a in a very long, long, long time. People left their doors unlocked and neighbors watched each other's children. Now residents, <clears throat> excuse me, peer cautiously through their window before answering their doors. On December 22nd, a freezing evening, three days before Christmas, the Harris family opened their door for the last visitor ever. Tony, Dottie, it's going to get a little graphic. Uh Tony, Dottie, and Mark are found in an upstairs bedroom, bound hand to foot with pillowcases over their faces. They were all shot in the back of the head with a 22 caliber weapon. Shelby was found in a separate bedroom, very obviously sexually assaulted, and was also shot in the head with a 22 caliber weapon. Firefighters found the bodies the next morning, December 23rd, after neighbors heard a fire alarm and called 911. So they were shot and then the bodies were set on fire. Yeah. So although the police have no leads and there are no signs of an intruder, they uh, immediately believe robbery was the motive because what else would it be at this point? Um, Some money, credit cards, and the family van were taken. The day the bodies were found, a man and woman used the Harris's credit cards to buy clothing, electronics, and diamonds at a Ooh. suburban mall. It reminds me of Goodfellas when the dude's wife walks in with a fur coat. Yeah. I told you not to spend any money. In the new car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that they get shot in. Uh, so the store clerks actually at the stores that they visited helped the police um, artists draw sketches. These led police to Anthony Turner, who was also known as Michael King. So, I mean, two very different names. Not not sure why. Um, but it led them to Anthony Turner and his mother, Shirley King. Anthony Turner, also known as Michael King, like I said, died by gunfire after the police raided his apartment. When police entered, Anthony was found in the bedroom holding a sawed-off twenty-two caliber shotgun. Police opened fire when Anthony turned towards them and fired the shotgun under his chin. This was the shotgun that uh, was identified as the murder weapon used in the Harris's murder. Shirley King, 54, was charged with four counts of second-degree murder, one count of arson, and one count of possessing stolen property. She admitted to using the cards but claimed to have nothing to do with the murders or the arson. A New York State police trooper said he found Shirley's fingerprints on a gas can. And in November of 1990, Shirley was convicted of burglary, arson, hindering prosecution, criminal possession of stolen property, and forgery. Damn. She was sentenced to 18 to 44 years. Mm. Like, they didn't fuck around with this poor woman. No, they didn't. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets a little fucked up. Okay. Uh, In 1992, the U.S. Department of Justice started an investigation into a New York State trooper with his fellow troopers. Falsifying fingerprints. No shit. Including Sherry King. So they would plant fingerprints at scenes. They did it on three different major homicide cases. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It was a huge investigation. It was called like Triple C or something. Um, So motherfuckers. The prosecution actually dismissed all the charges against Shirley King except the forgery charges because she did forge, you know, signatures. Uh, in 2009, King was awarded $286,312 in compensation by the state of New York. I feel like that, like that's not... Enough. Was it a lot in 89 or... No, it's 2009. Fuck you. Yeah, that's not you enough. You planted my fucking fingerprint. I'm a grandmother. You planted my fucking fingerprint. And that's what I get. I wonder if like all their cases got thrown out. 
I know there's a whole like Wikipedia page based just on this investigation. Yeah. So I know a lot of. I mean, because um, their credibility is shot. Oh, it's gone. And they admitted it. They admitted to planting Why the fuck? fingerprints. Dude. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think one like broke. And wow. like saying like a fucking canary. Like that never fucking crossed my mind Mm-mm. as a police officer. Mm-mm. Like it just never did. What like what the? F- I think that like it's such a horrific crime in such a small area. Yeah, that like, you want to solve. You it. have to solve it. You know uh, what I mean? But that's isn't that fucked up? That's fucked up. I'll have to show you the Wikipedia page where oh, I mean it. it's so many cases. What an idiot. Yeah. And he was like a twenty-year veteran. Yeah, so you ruin like your, your pension's career? gone. It, yeah, everything's gone. What a fucking idiot. Yeah. So <clears throat> now, just two months later, on February second, nineteen ninety, Christine Lane, who was twenty-four, called police to report her two-year-old uh, daughter Eliza May Bush missing. Oh boy. Christine told police that her and Eliza had taken their dog out for a walk. After the walk, she went into the bathroom to take a shower, leaving Eliza in the living room with the door unlocked. Because, again, they live in Dryden. Oh, why Why geez. wouldn't Here you? Here we go. Um, when she came back out to the living room, the door was open and Eliza was gone. More than 400 volunteers using helicopters and heat-seeking equipment searched the surrounding woods and neighborhoods. Yeah. After three days, the police requested Gregory Bush, Eliza's father, and Christine's boyfriend take a polygraph, which came back inconclusive. I fucking hate polygraphs. We all yeah, know how I feel about it. Again, with the fucking polygraphs. Right. Um, so, especially, and this will prove why I hate polygraphs. Yeah. Uh, Christine also took a polygraph and passed with flying colors. Hmm. On February 7th, Christine received one of Eliza's mittens in the mail. So authorities now are treating this case as a kidnapping versus just a missing child. Yeah. Um, which, is there a difference? A kidnapping? Versus a missing child. Is there a difference how you would investigate it? Other than looking for a, a possible suspect? No, I mean, that okay. would be the difference. You're no. looking for a possible suspect. Okay. So Christine was quoted as saying, quote, I need her here with me. Eliza's my life, and I can't go on if I don't have her. Senior investigator for the Tompkins County Sheriff's Department said calls from two, quote, citizens led authorities to turn their attention towards Christine. One man called and reported that he had sold Christine an envelope like the one she claimed to receive in the mail, because obviously it was it went public. Um, and then another woman called to report that she had seen Christine put something in the mailbox near her apartment. Uh, he stated, quote, as you investigate, things start to come together and sometimes it puts doubt in your mind. Basically, it comes down to whether you believe if a person has a capability to do something like this. A, a kidnapping, though, I mean, you're going to have, you're going to try to use more resources. Like, you could call in the, the FBI to right, help. Right, versus just a missing child, right? Yeah, and I mean, okay. <clears throat> you know, you, you want to use as many resources as possible. Right. And, but, like, that way, you know, if there's going to be a ransom, you know. right. You're going to be prepared for it. Now, it sounds to me like when it turned from a missing child to a kidnapping, everything happened very, very quickly. Like, yeah, there wasn't time and, to call anybody in. and you No, know. There, you, there's time. You, you need to call them in right away. But, I mean, what you're looking at? Uh, Laura's texting me about Facebook. Uh, oh. 
um, yeah, I mean, you, you call them in and it's, I mean, with the kidnapping, you're kind of crunched for time because then, you know, you're not listening. To I me. am listening to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll let you read the text first. She thinks she knows how to Facebook, but she she doesn't. <laughs> how do you how do you Facebook? <laughs> Babe, I'm not even kidding. Like she's like, okay, so if I want to post a picture, do I hit picture? Y- yes. Yeah. Yes, you do. Well, can I write stuff with the picture? Yes. Yes. So then she posted pictures the other day and like called me into her office to let me know that she posted pictures. And it had writing with it. Oh, my God. She was so fucking proud of herself. <laughs> Guys, this was last week. And she's 35. <laughs> last week. So, uh. anyways. Um, <clears throat> so, as soon as she was confronted with the tips, she broke completely. Uh, she broke down and confessed to burying Eliza's body. Oh, jeez. Um, Christine told investigators that when she woke up February 2nd, she found Eliza tangled up in her blanket, dead in her crib, which is fucking bullshit because two-year-olds have the wherewithal to pull shit from their face. Yeah. And how tangled can you get in a blanket unless somebody's tying it across your right. face? Because, like, with SIDS, you know, crib death, yeah. um, they're not, babies aren't old enough to have the, it's, it's actually, it's all chemically based. It's, it's not developed enough for them to know, I can't breathe, should I have to turn my head? Right. Children have that. This is a two-year-old child. Yeah. So um, she was afraid that nobody would believe her. Yeah, you're right. If she reported Eliza dead in her crib. You're right, ma'am, because yeah. you're a fucking liar. Yeah. Yeah. So she dressed Eliza, put her in two plastic garbage bags, walked to a wooded area half a mile from her home, and buried her under some brush and limbs. Dude, like, you didn't is, even try. What the fuck is with yeah. people? I swear. So as soon as she was done doing that, she called the police and reported her missing. She mailed herself the mitten uh, to stop the ground search because she was scared that the searchers were getting too close to where Eliza was buried. In March of 1990, uh, Christine is indicted on two counts of second-degree murder, obstructing governmental administration in the second degree, and falsely reporting an incident in the third degree. Hmm. Hopefully she dies in jail. <laughs> she was found guilty of second-degree manslaughter in lieu of murder. Oh, my God. She was sentenced to 5 to 15 years for the manslaughter, <laughs> one year for the obstruction, three months for the pa- false reporting, all to run concurrently. I couldn't find anything to, like, about her getting out. I'm assuming she got out and, like, she just took off. Probably. So. Good job with our justice system there. Yeah. Um, Fast forward now to 1993. Okay. Kristen Clark was in love and in a happy relationship with Scott Hume. They were hanging out at her apartment, enjoying a quiet night in. They had fallen asleep. Um, she also had a roommate who had also fallen asleep. Yeah. Um, their quiet night was violently shattered when Paul Jackson barged into the apartment where Scott and Christine were sleeping. Uh, Paul and Kirsten, not Kristen, I'm sorry, Kirsten, uh, they were together for four years prior to this when we were planning on getting married. Mm-hmm. The couple met and had become friends with Scott Hume. The trio hung out a lot, and eventually Kirsten started to fall for Scott. Paul was not down for a thruple, so no. Kirsten left. Um, Come on now. He figured it out after about a month of them seeing each other. 
So she admitted to it, obviously, and moved in with a friend. Paul did not handle the breakup well. He started abusing drugs and alcohol. Uh, He was out with his brother one night on August 13th, and his brother was trying to tell him to find another girl, which, I mean, Mm. you can't. Well, he called Kirsten that night to a drunk dialer. Yeah. And she was like, hey, get the fuck over it. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. Not nice about it. Uh, he said that that's, that's what broke him. Yeah. So Paul was driving to his brother's house the next morning to do repairs on his truck. So it was August 14th, 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to drive. So it wasn't at night. Sorry. It was more towards the afternoon. He had to drive past Kirsten's to get there. He saw Scott's truck and he snapped. He pulled over in front of her apartment, grabbed a knife from his car and went to the door. Damn. Who has a knife in their, in their car? What, why do you, like, like a butcher knife? What are you doing? Yeah, I was going to say, like, a pocket knives. No, no, a this lot was, of people, no, this was not a pocket knife. A butcher knife. knife. This I, was a knife. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. So, the door was unlocked. People. What the fuck? Lock your motherfucking doors. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so, he found everyone sleeping, got on top of Scott, stabbed him once in the heart. Mm. So, it was not a pocket knife. Yeah. If it went through his heart. Um, Paul then, Kirsten woke up to this and screamed. Paul fled the scene. Kirsten's roommate was attempting to call emergency services, and Scott, who was a volunteer fireman, gave the roommate the number to the local ambulance service. So it sounds like a thing like where I work, like small towns. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, those were his last words. (laughs) The number to the ambulance service. If those are my last words, I'm haunting the fuck out of every one of you. Just so you know. Don't worry, babe. Oh, my God. Look at the light. The ambulance service is coming. (laughs) I will fucking kill you. The ambulance driver is on his way. Oh, my God. So, Paul was then arrested and charged with murder. He thought about fleeing. He was just going to leave, but he went to his dad's house. His family talked him out of it. They talked him into turning himself in. Right. Um, He used the defense of extreme emotional distress and was convicted of second-degree murder. His drug problem intensified in prison, and because of that, he spent a whole year in solitary confinement. Mm. I don't feel fucking bad for you. Uh, You want to know why? He got out in 2014. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, what the fuck? He married in 2017, and now he has a son. What county is this? Uh, Tompkins County. Sounds a lot familiar, like Cook County. Yeah, sounds like a Cook County. And so the documentary for A&E, I watched. Yeah. And this guy's like, he's thanking his parents for everything that they went through. What? And I'm glad I got to give them a grandchild. Oh, fuck you. You stabbed a man in the heart. Yeah. With the intention of murdering him. Yeah, you should be dead. Hmm. But Fuck you. He's happily married. Oh. Yeah, isn't that great? It's lovely. Yeah. All right, so now we're going forward a little bit more, not too far, mm-hmm. 94. Uh, a boy, I shouldn't say boy, but I won't really say man, he's like 20, so he's stuck a like... A man child? Yeah, he's like that in-between... Yeah. That doesn't grow out of until like 45. Right. Yeah. So, what? Uh, so uh, you want to question this? I'd say like 35. I'm sorry. How old are you? 39. Who called me the other day at work to see if they could get a barbed wire kit for their action figures? 
right. 45. Yeah, okay. So, J.P. Merchant has a way of... It was for Jax, by the way, too. So, shush. uh, My fat ass it was. (laughs) Um, So, he has a way of making romance turn ugly. In high school, he was dating a girl by the name of Sherry Fitz. Uh, Allegedly, the relationship was abusive from both sides, and the couple did fight a lot. After a fight with JP, Sherry committed suicide. Mm. So, the, are you scratching your arm or something? Because the whole fucking table's moving. Yeah, my elbow. Okay. Sorry. Um, no, I was just wondering. So, Jeez. In the fall of 1994, JP met Amber Starr. He was 20. She was a senior in high school, so like 17. Not terrible, right? Uh, Amber was a Dryden tier, uh, cheerleader and queen of the school. And we will find out that Dryden is like that... Um, Almost like Varsity Blues. Like, if you play football and you're a cheerleader, like, you are the celebrities of the town. So, being a cheerleader is a huge fucking We should watch that today, by the way. We should watch that today. Um, I think the dryer's done. Yeah, I keep hearing her again. Um, So, she was not like the clingy, docile girls that he was used to. But they did start dating nonetheless. He quickly became infatuated and fell in love she did not. Hmm. So they dated for a short time before she broke up with him. He was absolutely devastated by the breakup and starts stalking her. Oh. So he calls repeatedly, shows up at her house, and knows where she is all the fucking time and shows up there. So hmm. he knows her schedule, her whereabouts, and her friends. Just a bit creepy. Huh. Um, I picture... Um, I have to think of it first. It from a movie, the kid from a movie. Um, fuck, now it's gonna bother me. Oh, oh um, uh, uh, Wedding Crashers. Oh, the yeah. One th- like, that's what I picture. I made you a painting. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I picture. I'm keeping the painting. <laughs> oh, my God, that's exactly what I picture. Okay. So, in late December, he starts telling her that if she doesn't get back together with him, he's going to kill himself. To which I say, do I tie the rope? Yeah, do it. Like, don't say that. Right. You're not going to do it, obviously. Um, So, this resulted in her spending multiple nights and multiple hours on the phone with him, quote, letting him down gently and trying to talk him off a fucking ledge. Yeah. So, in the meantime, though, she started dating someone else. Yeah. Uh, immediately, JP started threatening to kill her new boyfriend. He's a stable individual, if you can't tell. Sounds like it. I need to take a drink. Hang on. Go, 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 go. Oh, oh. I have to interrupt this story to tell you. Um, JP was pissed. Why? <laughs> about 25. Because he said that he did try and find you to give you my number. And oh. I made it sound like he had no part in it. So, JP, I thank you. Thank you, JP. Just, okay. I don't know what made me think that, but mm. yeah. I got, they were listening the other day, and JP's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I did something, so. Okay, so at this time, Amber's dad, Stephen Starr, was out of town playing in a basketball tournament at his school. So Stephen Starr is a teacher. He's also the head football coach of Dryden's high school football yeah. team. After JP threatens to kill Amber's new boyfriend, her sister Tiffany and mother Judy go to the Cortland County Sheriff's Department to file a complaint on December 27th. Judy tells them, quote, Merchant is stalking my daughter. She asks for an order of protection, 
and for some unknown reason, which we find out later, was not given one. Uh, However, Merchant was arrested for stalking. His family posted his $500 bail, and he's released. That night, he starts calling Amber and threatening her again. jeez. So now, the next day, December 28th, Tiffany, Judy, and Amber, and I believe Amy is her other sister. So Amber and Amy are twins. Mm -hmm. Tiffany is the younger sister, and she actually comes in later on, so earmark that name. Uh, They go back to the sheriff's office. Judy begs the police for help and asks for an order of protection again. Again, she doesn't get one, and it is later found out that it was because of a paper mix-up. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, an order of protection is a piece, it's a of, piece paper of paper anyways. Yeah. So, so um, December 29th, they actually have an offer, officer staged outside of the home during the day. Mm. Later on that afternoon, Dad Stephen returns home. When the sheriff's uh, shift ends for, you know, watching the house for the night, he leaves to go home, and he is not replaced. Hmm. So maybe you should have had him watch at night. Yeah. Instead of during the day. <laughs> you yeah. think? Just a thought. Uh, so Stephen drinks a beer and heads to bed with a plate of cookies, which was very common for him. And to to you, sir, I say same. So. <laughs> right. It. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Amber would later say that she doesn't know why, but she had this overwhelming feeling to tell her dad that she loved him. So she uh, called her dad while he was walking down the hall and obviously told him that she loved him. And he responded with, I love you too, kiddo. Good night. Mm. Early the next morning, as everyone sleeps, JP breaks into the star house by shooting the lock off the back door. Damn. Uh, Tiffany is awakened by the blast, and JP climbs the stairs and is surprised to see Tiffany standing in her door. Dude, you just shot a fucking yeah. lock off. What, like, you think everyone's going to sleep through that? Neighbors three miles away heard that shit. Right. So, um, it, and it was a 20-gauge shotgun. It's not quiet. No, not so, at all. Yeah. So Tiffany recalls, quote, Probably took the whole fucking door off. It probably did. Uh, Tiffany recalls, quote, I think for sure this is it, but something as simple as shutting my door keeps me alive. He is not after me. He wants Amber. He just isn't going to let anyone get in his way, and I don't try. I shut my door, and I let him go, and I think about it every day. In a matter of seconds, JP is in Amber's room, waking her up, telling her to get up. She's going with him. Stephen comes into Amber's room to protect her, and within, again, seconds, JP turns around and shoots Stephen twice, once in the chest and once in the forehead. With a 20-gauge fucking shotgun. Um, Judy, Tiffany, and Amber uh, and Amy somehow manage to get out of the house. Merchant reloads and follows them, firing into the woods at the edge of the home. He thinks that's the direction they went. Yeah. He realizes, though, that they actually went in the opposite direction, running across the yard to a neighbor's house. JP starts to follow them, but instead, for some reason, gets into his car and drives away. Thank fucking God. Mm. He drives to the cemetery where... Oh, I spelled cemetery wrong. Where his uh, ex-girlfriend, Sherry Fitz, is buried. He goes to her grave and shoots himself with a 20-gauge shot. Damn. What the fuck? Yeah. So now... um, these are uh, these are deaths at this point. They're not um, they're not murders. But. Mm-hmm. So August twentieth of nineteen ninety five, Billy Pace, who was a popular Dryden athlete, died in a car crash. Damn. He was the backseat passenger of a vehicle driven by a nineteen year old friend. 
the driver lost control and spun out going around a curve and crashed through a stand of trees into a highway post sign. Mm. September 10th of 1996, Scott Pace, a tight end for Dryden Central High School football team, died in a car crash less than two miles from home. Dude, what is going on? His girlfriend was driving him home from football practice when a car suddenly backed out of a driveway and collided with the car. The services were closed. It was only family and a few friends because his parents, quote, just couldn't do it again. Scott Pace and Billy Pace were brothers. Mm. So they lost their sons a year apart. My God. Yeah. Um, in the summer of 1996, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ed Bailey, his wife started to notice some changes in his behavior. Yeah. Now, let me preface this by saying I 100%, obviously, I, mental health is mental health. Like, yeah. You know. Um, I think this guy's full of fucking shit. Yeah. Let me just throw that out there. Uh, he was 28 at the time. He told her that he sensed evil in Dryden. Duh. duh. Yeah. Like, duh. Hello. Yeah. Um, and was having delusions that someone or something was out to get him. Mm. It's really hard to think it's not like Final Destination in this town. Right. So, um, he apparently made an unsuccessful suicide attempt Um there was also another incident where he locked his wife in the car and started speeding recklessly, telling her that they were both going to die. And how um, did that end? They didn't. Nothing. Did, did, did he just stop? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. This dude's full of shit. So then he said, because, now all of this comes out after the incident. And, right. that, and that is why I say that I think he's, you know, full of it. So... Uh, he was driving one day and heard uh, Operation Snowkill on the radio. He said that he took this as a sign that the National Guard had been sent to kill him. Yeah. Uh, he also said the crows were talking to him. Why the crows? I don't know. Hmm. How many crows you got in that town? Yeah, right. Um, so his wife at one point was able to talk him into treatment at a mental health facility. But he was released fairly quickly quickly after quote telling him what they wanted to hear yeah so this dude's full of shit uh after his release he said he was still having delusions and auditory hallucinations right but somehow was able to hide it and life seemed to get back on track you cannot fucking hide that shit right you can't you know how i am yeah you can't hide that i shit. can't hide it the crows are talking to you you're fucking talking back yeah. like yeah so they were at the park one day. He has three sons. They ended up meeting another family. Um, the gentleman was named Bob Bergman, who was there with his wife and two daughters. The two men quickly became friendly, and Bob got at a job at Stafford Chevrolet, where he was a supervisor. They hunted together, and Bob sold Ed a 20-gauge shotgun for hunting. At work one day, Ed saw a hunting knife in Bob's car and took that as a sign that the National Guard had found him. Oh, yeah. He also said the crows started telling him, quote, must kill Bob. Hmm. Sure. I wish you could see my face right now. Uh, September 21st, 1996, Bob reprimanded Ed at work for some unknown reason. Don't yeah. Uh, September 24th, Ed and his family went through their usual morning routine. Uh, meanwhile, Ed was like just getting more and more pissed over being reprimanded by right, Ed. Right, right. So while he was at work, this is what he says. Ed went behind, or yeah, Ed went behind Bob with a wooden axe handle, but decided not to use it. A, you work in a car dealer. Where did you get a wooden axe handle? Right. Two, nobody fucking saw this. 
Yeah. Cool. So instead of that, he decided to go home and get the 20-gauge shotgun that Bob had sold him. Hmm. He went back into the dealership, found Bob, shot him in the chest once, killing him. All right. He walked away and calmly told his co-workers what he had just done, because apparently they didn't hear it. Oh, my God. When they realized that he wasn't joking, they actually restrained him and locked him in an office until authorities arrived. While he was in the office, he called his wife and told her what he did. Ed was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. His attorney, you ready for this one? Yeah. Is the same attorney attorney who defended Christine Bush, who is Eliza's mother. No shit. Yes. Well, it is a small town. Yeah. He sta- Do you think he was like, what the fuck, people? <laughs> dude, I think he's like, I'm I making fucking... I came here for fucking farm accidents. What are uh, you doing? Dude, I'm making bank in this town. Um, so... <laughs> He stated that Ed suffered from extreme paranoia. And are you ready for this? No. Yeah. Fear of supervision. Do you want to know what I wrote in my notes? I find this to be utter bullshit. <laughs> Just saying. Right. Uh, psychiatrists for both the defense and the prosecution said that while Ed had some form of personality disorder, we all fucking yeah, do. He, he's uh, a goof. He was mentally fit to stand trial. Yeah. Hmm. What happened to the crows? Mm. Uh, His defense was now extreme emotional distress, not insanity, not insanity. Uh, On April 4th, 1997, after 11 hours of deliberation, Ed was found guilty of the lesser charge of first degree manslaughter. Oh, my God. He started. Dude, you're killing me here. (laughs) He was sentenced to 12 and a half to 25 years. He did attempt to appeal based on juror misconduct after finding out juror number three's behavior was questioned after deliberations. Mm -hmm. So uh, juror number three is a fucking 80-year-old man who, (laughs) after dinner, um, they said he was experiencing dementia-like behavior. Uh, Maybe he was just tired of your fucking bullshit and wanted to go home. Right. So he was questioned by the judge. The judge is like, he's fucking fine. He's tired. He's 80. Right. Right. He's fucking 80 years you old. You guys are pissing him off. Right. Like, I would act crazy, too. Cool. Um, so He's missing his crossword puzzles for this shit. Yeah. So the appeal obviously was denied because it was taken care of during the trial. So he was released in July of 2017. Oh, Jesus. He was sent back for a parole are violation. Are you sure this is not Cook County? I know. Um, he was sent back for a parole violation. I don't know what the parole violation yeah. was, but he was released again uh, November 7th of 2020. Mm. Okay. Wow. Judy, this one's for you. Mm-hmm. So now the cheerleaders. Ah, yeah. So this one um, is, it, it's a little graphic. Okay. Just, just a, I mean, obviously we're fucking graphic, so right. I also need another drink. Go, 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 mm. go. That's what reminded me of JP because he likes when you do that. Oh, so I will continue it. Um, I'm going to butcher their last names, so I'm just going to say their first names. Yeah. Sixteen-year-olds Jennifer and Sarah were inseparable, separable best friends. They were both great students and varsity cheerleaders. So again, like rock stars. They both volunteered, had part-time jobs. Uh, Sarah worked at Clark's Food Mart, and Jennifer worked at an ice cream stand across the street from that. Yeah. Sarah's parents decided to take a four-day vacation to Bar Harbor, Maine, and Jen was spending the time with Sarah so she wouldn't be alone. Right. They also had another male friend spend the night that night, 
um, just so they would feel a little safer. Safer. Yeah. So on October 4th, 1996, the male friend left the house around 7 a.m. for school. The girls were skipping their first two periods, so they didn't leave with him. No one thought anything about them not being in school all day, but became very concerned when they didn't show up for that night's football game. Mm -hmm. Being a varsity cheerleader at Dryden was the equivalent of being a celebrity, and the girls would never miss a game. Yeah. The captain of the cheerleading squad was Tiffany Starr, (laughs) whose dad was shot by the boyfriend. What the fuck? So she's the one who kind of blows the whistle like they didn't show up. They would never not show up. Like This is a fucking problem. So she's the one who started like calling their parents and everything like that because she's like they would skip school but they wouldn't miss a game, mm. you know. See, so it all fucking yeah, it's all ties connected. Uh, the girls were reported missing at six thirty p.m. by their parents. Uh, Sarah's parents raced home. When police entered the Hadney house, that's Sarah's home, uh, they immediately found signs of a struggle in the bathroom. The shower curtain was ripped down, and the soap dish in the shower was broke. Do you remember, like, the old showers where the soap dish was, like, in the shower? That's what was broke. Okay. Um, So now they're immediately treating it as a crime scene. Now, one of their friends... Hang on, let me find her name. Sorry, if you can hear my papers, don't care. Uh, Katie. Her name was Katie. She was watching... um, intently at the driveway outside of the crime scene tape because she was supposed to have had she was going to spend the night with Sarah and Jen that night and at the very last minute chose not to okay Mm. remember that name again you remember that name so shortly after the um Hadney's 1992 Chevy Lumina was found about seven miles from the home in the parking lot of Cortland Line Company According to witnesses, the car was dropped off around 2 p.m. by a short, balding white man. The car was called into police after a worker noticed the dome light was on. He went to check on it and saw what appeared to be blood smears. When the police arrived on scene, they pried the trunk open to see if the girls were in the fucking trunk. Uh, They didn't find the girls, but they did find blood, pine needles, mud, charred wood, and diamond-shaped fingerprints suggesting that the attacker wore gloves. Mm. The next morning, flyers were hung everywhere and police canvassed the neighborhood. The first neighbors they spoke to were John and Patricia Andrews. Their six-year-old son's bedroom window looks right into uh, Sarah's bathroom. Investigators immediately noticed John is not acting or answering questions appropriately. So now a woman named Anne Rexelbin, I totally butchered that, a woman in her 30s who sounded good yeah who uh actually works with jen's mom at a nearby hospital yeah calls the police after something strange happens uh marcus hutchinson goes up to Anne and her fiance bruno's hunting camp in otzlik about 30 minutes from dryden so now a hunting camp is like just a small hunting cabin yeah when him and a friend walk in, the place is dark, but they notice a puddle on the floor, shine a flashlight on it, and they think it looks like blood. So they get a hold of Anne. Anne and Bruno decide that they should really go up there. So they go up there. They're shown the now-dried puddle and agree, yes, it's blood. So they then drive to the uh, county troopers' barracks in Norwich, where no one is at because the barracks have closed for the night. So they call somebody to come out. When the trooper arrives, they go back out to the camp. Anne says, quote, I feel suddenly guilty. Call it instinct. Mm. 
The trooper asked them if they know anyone who lives in McLean, which was the town right next to Dryden. Yeah. Um, and calls out Cortland troopers. When the Cortland County troopers arrive, they immediately start interviewing anyone or everyone. Anne is asked if any friends or family live near the girls and if they've been to the camp. She says yes, her brother John. The trooper flies by me so quickly he almost knocks me down. He runs into the camp and starts screaming for the senior investigator. At that point, I just want to vomit because my gut instinct is right. I love him, but the kidnapper is my brother, John. Jeez. Oh, so back in town, John Andrews was arrested. Um, he did go to Andrews High. He was described as a bashful boy who loved cars. He married his high school sweetheart, Patricia, and then joined the Air Force. When he was in Germany, John, it, John is charged with second-degree assault after attacking two young, attractive, and petite females uh, that are his neighbors at the time who also look like Sarah. Mm. So he's dishonorably discharged and sent to Leavenworth. Yeah. When he was discharged from Leavenworth, him and Patricia, who believed he was innocent, buy a house, and he gets a job uh, working third shift as a lathe operator at Paul Trinity Micro Corporation. Pal Trinity, excuse me. In August of 1996, they buy the house next door to the Hadneys. He quickly becomes obsessed with their, quote, beautiful and dashing daughter. Yeah. October 4th of 1996, John Andrews donning a brown ski mask and yellow rubber gloves, like the dishwashing gloves, you know? Yeah. Um, enters the home through the unlocked... Lock your motherfucking doors. Thank you. Kitchen door. He goes straight to Sarah's room, overpowers her, binds her with black zip ties, and covers her mouth with duct tape. He finds Jen in the shower and is not expecting her to do anything, but she fights like fucking hell. Mm -hmm. She's the one who ripped down the shower curtain and broke the soap yeah. dish. And um, He was able to overpower her. He outweighed these girls by like 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. So the two girls are soon locked in the trunk for the hour-long drive, excuse me, to Atsalik to his sister's hunting camp. John builds a bonfire. He then proceeds to torture and murder the two girls. Now, we don't know the extent of the torture and the murder, and we probably never will because of how it finishes. Um, he proceeds to cut the girls into small pieces. As he, drives, as he drives back to Drowden, Dryden, down Wright Road, he starts throwing parts of the girls out the window. What the fuck? That's how he got rid of Remember when I told you? Wait till you find out. How, yeah. Like, he was just chucking pieces out the fucking Dude, window. Dude, what yeah. the fuck? Um, he goes to a state game land and spreads the rest of the girls. Just out the window. Unreal. Yeah. So, you know, at night at this hunting camp, they, they couldn't see anything. And then when daybreak came, that's when they started finding fucking body parts but not yeah. like it wasn't like an arm and a leg he cut them up like you cut up a fucking steak and was throwing pieces out the fucking window Jesus. yeah um he then parks the car at Cortland line company covers himself the car and the dashboard with oil and throws the yellow gloves in a trash can uh, Monday, October 7th, 1996 John is arrested and Dryden High School students find out the girls are actually dead November 1st of 1996, John is indicted on 26 counts of murder, kidnapping, aggravated sexual abuse, 
auto theft, burglary, and criminal possession of a weapon. Uh, details of what was done to the girls during the torture, murder, and dismemberment are not made public because they were never able to find out exactly what happened to them. Because on November 2nd, 1996, John Andrews hung himself in his jail cell with his shoelaces. Damn. Uh, fuck you, good riddance. Yeah, good job. Okay. So you remember the name Katie? Yeah. Who was supposed to be in that house? Yeah. Okay. July 11th, 1999, Dryden finds out that Katie Savino was killed in a drunk driving accident. Mm. Her friend from college, Cheryl Thrayer, was driving Katie and three, males, three male friends home. It was dark. She didn't know the roads. She blew a stop sign. They were hit by a semi-truck and dragged for a couple hundred yards, and then the car started on fire. When the truck stopped moving, the three guys were able to get out. Cheryl, Cheryl was pulled out by the truck driver, and then the car instantly exploded afterwards with Damn. Katie in it. Three Unreal. months after Katie's memorial service, her good friend Mike Voigt was depressed over her death and never got over the loss of his teammate Scott Pace, one of the brothers who died in the car accident. Mm-hmm. His best friend Johnny Lapinto said, quote, maybe he wanted to protect us from his pain. The morning after my 21st birthday, he walked out to the woods to the cabin we built when we were younger and put a 12-gauge shotgun to his head. Jeez. So, that's is Dryden, New York, Village of the Damned. Um, so tell me again why you're mad that they called you the Village of the Damned? Yeah. Like, is that not like a final destination town? I, I think it's time to move. Yeah. It's like a final destination town. Yeah. Fuck you, fuck log trucks. Right. Like, yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah. It, it's time to move. Yeah. Yes. But the way he just threw the body parts out the window. That's I'm pretty sure that's up. what Judy was referring to and she said it was graphic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah. That was a good one. So that would be the whole village of Dryden. Mm. Stay away from it. Yeah. Yep. Please don't go there. No, no. So. It's not nice. No, it's not. <laughs> so um Leah's got the dog out, so we're going to wrap it up kind of. Yeah. Ooh, sorry. Quick here. So um, please continue to listen and subscribe and like and review and yep. you guys are fucking awesome um, our Patreon episode part one is going to come out hopefully tomorrow I'm going to say that just in case something yeah. happens but hopefully tomorrow definitely um, this week it's going to be a shit show that's all I have to say mm-hmm. because it's going to be a shit show yep. um, if you want to become a Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash death do us part one. You can find mm-hmm. us. Uh, we're at gmail at death do us part dot one at gmail.com. Twitter at ddup, or no, the gmail's ddup podcast yeah. dot one. Same with the Patreon, ddup podcast one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter is ddup podcast. Yep. Instagram is DDUP underscore podcast. Yep. Facebook is JM Cash and Death Do Us Part. Yep. And Oscar called and left me a message. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to try and do the YouTube thing today. Ooh. So. It's coming. Yep. We're getting there. So, so. I'll get the website set up within the next couple days mm-hmm. um, so we can get merch up there. Yep. So. Awesome. Well, you guys we, are the tits. Uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. For real. Thank you for listening. Please spread the word. Continue listening. And uh, 
we will be talking to you very soon. Keep sending in your suggestions. I do have a few we're yeah, going to do. We do have a couple stacked up. But keep sending them. Yeah. I think it's great. You guys are, like, these are phenomenal fucking stories. Yeah. So, yep. So, thank you guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. And we will be talking to you very soon. Bye. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.